ladies and gentlemen, let me present Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Possibly the most important thing this side of the world. Oh, are you? Well, I... Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. This is your co-host, Steve Spears of SPTimes.com. And this is Gina Vivanetto, columnist for TBT, and our special guest, Mr. Eric Deggins, media critic for the St. Petersburg Times. Yo, 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 what's up? (laughs) We're listening to Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Two Tribes, in the beginning there. We must be talking about the politics of the 80s today. We are, and all the big, big world events, and that's why we have Mr. Deggins with us to uh, help us out remembering the events of the 80s and giving it more of a scholarly tone. (laughs) Because clearly we're not qualified to talk about this without We're not worthy. You need you need help. That's fine. And I've been saying that for years. That's right. <laughs> Eric's been telling us for years. And remember the video for um, Two Tribes, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, featured uh, Gorbachev and Reagan. Well, they, it wasn't the real guys, actually. <laughs> Not that we know. Wrestling of. and fighting in right. some kind of crazy pit. Um, so maybe we should Listen, start there with talking about – Well, I think, yeah, you got to set the scene of the 80s where you're talking about a decade that begins with the Cold War still going you know, red hot and uh, – the fear of a nuclear annihilation around the corner. I think that sort of sets the stage for what we were looking at 20 years ago. Well, here's, here's where I drop the knowledge. Okay, you ready? No. Go for it. We're uh, <laughs> ready. Well, 1980, you know, is the year that Reagan was elected president. And uh, it's a seminal um, uh, event, not just because you have someone who ushers in the rise of the conservative movement in America, which is really important, but you have somebody – who I quite cynically view as the flip side of the, the, his predecessor, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter got elected at the end of Watergate, um, uh, at the end of the Watergate, uh, the disappointment over the Watergate affair, saying that he was going to tell the truth about government. And he, his greatest moment of that, delivering the speech where he was honest about the energy crisis and the challenges of facing America, was also viewed as his greatest failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people didn't want to hear that. <laughs> and Reagan, <laughs> Reagan comes to power telling people what they want to hear about America and right. telling people what they want to hear about America's enemies. And the conservative movement gains a, a, a significant foothold in America doing that. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of that uh, great 1980s movie, Wall Street, with uh, uh, Michael Douglas mm-hmm. and uh, Charlie Sheen. And Classic. Uh, this, this, this moniker that greed is good. Greed. And indeed, you know, the, the, Reagan, the Reagan revolution in economics was about hand, money, and power to the wealthy, and they'll take care of the rest of us. Reaganomics. So, exactly. <laughs> right. so, so this is the, the framework that we're going into the 80s with, and it sets the tone for all this other stuff that, that, that follows. Why do you think that, that that caught on with the culture? And particularly, um, young people seem to really uh, grab onto the, the, the new conservative movement of the 80s. And, and we were talking before the podcast with characters on television, Al- Alex P. Keaton and, and the preppy movement and things like that. There seemed to be this sweeping wave of conservatism that even young people like gravitated toward. Why do you think that we just need some kind of false... Well, you think about what happened in the 70s. You had disillusion in government because of Watergate. You had disillusion in the military because of the failure of Vietnam. You had uh, disillusionment in uh, 
political leaders because of Nixon and Spiro Agnew and people like that, and the inability and ineffectualness of the people who replaced them. Uh, Jimmy Carter wasn't able to deal with Iran and mm -hmm. the, the, the hostages right. uh, that were uh, kept hostage there. And there was a sense that the people who were replacing these people we didn't trust were people who couldn't get the job done. Right. Uh, so I think people wanted to believe in America again. Uh, that's my that's the sign that I delivered a <laughs> correct you answer. The truth. Thank you very much. Uh, but um, uh, people were looking to believe <laughs> in America again. <laughs> they were looking to believe in um, success again and believe that success was possible. And you had these young people, don't forget, who were coming along trying to rebel against their parents who had grown up in the 60s right. and the 70s. Right. So these parents who were uh, sort of you know, had protested the war and had protested the draft and had fought to get Nixon kicked out of office and, and fought to defeat the conservatives of the 70s, where it suddenly had these kids right. who were rebelling by, right. you know, uh, turning up their collars right. or their, uh, I, their Azad shirts and uh, becoming stockbrokers right. and rejecting everything their parents stood for. I remember seeing once on MTV, uh, Grace Slick was talking about her daughter on MTV, and Grace Slick, of course, being the singer in Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson Starship after that, big, big, you know, counterculture figure in the 60s, you know, kind of a, a, a anti-authority person, drug user, that kind of stuff. And she was talking about the cruelest thing her daughter, I think China Slick was her name, did to her in the 80s was came home and uh, had the preppy look and wanted to be a cheerleader and wanted to rebel against everything her mother stood for and mm -hmm. and was kind of conservative and her mother balked at that, you know. So that I think there's a lot of truth to what you were saying that a lot of, you know, kids wanted to be um, to step away from the, the 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 idealism of the '60s and that kind of like a lot of young people thought it was kind of like hippie and hokey and just you know wanted the stability I guess of conservatism even if they thought you know and it was funny too Reagan was an actor and he just kind of played that part so coolly and it seemed so like you know this seems like something rock solid and steady and and I, I, I that's appealing you know sure <laughs> yeah. and and I think there was this notion that um, conservatism was cool again. Yeah. And you had um, Alex P. Keaton, uh, the character from Family Ties. You had Charlie Sheen's character from Wall Street and even Michael Douglas's character from Wall Street. The attraction of those guys was that they seemed so cool and so powerful. You had Rush Limbaugh's show started in the, in the late 80s. And this was a guy who, um, first in 1987, has set the tone a little bit and proved that I'm a media critic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they, um, the, the fairness doctrine went away. Now, before that, uh, any time uh, a broadcaster presented a political point of view, he had to give an equal amount of time to an opposing point of view. Once that was gone, mm -hmm. you could have these politically oriented talk shows uh, that advocated one specific point of view without allowing much room for a rebuttal. So uh, Rush Limbaugh comes along, and his show starts with this rock music, you know, mm -hmm. Smoke on the water, and <laughs> stuff like that, and uh, you know he seems to be this brash voice that's railing against you know these tired people, and 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 what kind of vision did the progressives offer at that point? You had you know Jimmy Carter who was just this dour patrician, uh, you know um, self doubter. Uh, constantly pointing out his own mistakes and mm -hmm. other people's mistakes, and uh, a, a little humorless. And, yeah, and, and Walter you can, Mondale and Ra Walter <laughs> Mondale, who seemed the you know the typical ineffectual Democrat. And you compare that with Ronald Reagan, who talked about a shining city on a hill. Yeah. he had this heroic look, uh, broad shoulders. He was able to come out. Um, in a couple of years, he had talked about uh, communism as the evil empire. 
uh, and really set a stark contrast between the virtue of America and the evil of communism uh, that dovetailed with the the tailspin of the um, Russian economy and the Soviet Union's mm -hmm. demise. So, you know, you had a lot of forces out there in the zeitgeist in the 80s. Um, you know, Gina and I were talking about this before we went on. The 80s feels like a transition decade. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of things ending. Um, the, the Democrats' dominance um, um, and, um, you know, new waves going away, mm -hmm. punk is going away, you know. Uh, and, and then you have a lot of things starting. Um, you have uh, new conservatism. You have the AIDS <laughs> yeah. crisis. Yeah. You have um, um, the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union and the beginning of the end of apartheid in South Africa. The Berlin Wall comes down. Let, so. let me ask you, what, what do you think about, what's your feeling about Reagan's uh, responsibility for two things? One, the, the end of the Cold War, which he's generally given credit for by some people, and then his uh, – treatment and reaction to the AIDS crisis? Uh, well, uh, the end of the Soviet Union, I think it's overstating things to give him credit for the end of the Soviet Union, although obviously he galvanized the country to oppose the Soviet Union in a way that Jimmy Carter didn't. Um, what, Reagan was helped by the fact that Gorbachev came to power and he advocated uh, two um, uh, policies that were really important. Uh, the first was uh, perestroika, which was the restructuring of the um, Soviet economy. And it turned out to be this this horrific mistake. <laughs> because when you have a system uh, where nobody's held accountable for the decisions they make and it's incredibly bureaucratic, and then you also sort of take away any of those uh, controls uh, that, that you had in place where, you know, you could you could be thrown in a gulag if you didn't <laughs> do what the ruling class wanted. When you take those things away uh, and you try to restructure the economy um, uh, in in a place like the Soviet Union, you just have these incredible gaps in service. People, you know, couldn't get toilet paper. They couldn't get food. Um, uh, they were in, in, uh, incredibly. The, the country seemed to be to be incredibly dysfunctional. And on top of that, he advocated Glasnost, which was um, a, an openness about how government was operating. Uh, one of the things that uh, Gorbachev needed was the support of the people because the bureaucrats obviously would, were fighting him over these changes. So he figured if he uh, opened up the process and people could see how dysfunctional uh, the, the government was, um, he could get the public support he needed to advance perestroika. But what it wound up doing was really allowing people a venue to document and express their incredible frustration over all the shortages in the, in the country, and people found out. Uh, just how badly run their country was. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the Soviet economy went into a tailspin, and by the time you reach the 90s, um, the Soviet Union is is no more. Um, so you know, does Ronald Reagan get credit for that? Uh, you know, I'm sure pressure pressure from America helped that happen, but mm -hmm. uh, he can't get sole credit. AIDS crisis. Uh, that you know, anybody who's read Randy Schultz's book and the band played on knows that you know uh, Reagan uh, turned a blind eye. Uh, to uh, all these gay people who were dying of what they called then the gay cancer and um, didn't mobilize health resources to deal with this emerging epidemic until, of course, uh, heterosexuals started dying too. And, uh, and it's unfortunate. You know, it's one of those things where if we had mobilized a huge response immediately, maybe we might have been able to deal with it more effectively. But uh, unfortunately, 
you know, there's there's this quote that is out there that people say he said, and then he later said he didn't. But um, uh, I can't remember the exact quote. But you know, basically him connecting sort of God's retribution against gay people to AIDS, mm-hmm. and um, and I think um, there was a sense in government that uh, that the new conservatives felt, well, you know, if there's this disease out there that's killing gay people, that's right. not the worst thing in the world right. to happen. How many times do you guys remember hearing, you know, even into, you know, the late 80s and early 90s, the phrase, the innocent victims of AIDS, you know? I mean, right. We used to hear that all the time. It was commonplace. Right. As if, you know, most people who get AIDS are not innocent and they deserve it, you know? And and the fact that the disease was running rampant in the bathhouses, you know, didn't didn't help you. Um, you had these pockets of gay culture where there was a lot of indiscriminate sex happening. And uh, it was sort of hard to go to this hardline, Christian-centered, conservative government and say, help us with this disease, um, considering where it was, uh, where the hotspots for it were. Right. Uh, it was, and, and, you know. And, and after that, it was drug users. And, <laughs> and after so that, it was, was drug like, users. You know, and they kind of and, and keep people stalling and stalling. Yeah, yeah and after that, people, people of color. color. So, you know, these are well, all. Let's the just keep that, sitting uh, around a little exactly. while and see who else gets it. And when it starts to hit our people, and, maybe oh, we'll do a, a little research. Wait a minute, you know? Buffy in the suburbs got it. Oh my God, oh, yeah. it's an epidemic. Hurry, hurry. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. You brought up the role a few minutes ago of uh, how New Wave and punk rock died, sort of in the '80s during the Reagan influence. And I was, I was kind of wanted to turn that around for a minute and talk about how music was influenced by politics back then. Do you remember that much, Gina? Do you remember the, some of the songs from the era that seemed to be? suddenly very political more so than they used well, to be. Well, I, um, I remember being, I remember noticing that music wasn't so very political, but then as soon as politicians started interfering with music, then there was a little bit of, uh, well, we wanted to talk about the parents' music resource. The PMRC. The PMRC, yeah. Um, and finally that got a, a few artists upset, but that was Tipper Gore's thing, which was right. funny because she's a nice little... Al Gore's wife, the yeah. Democrat, but boy, she had a different tone back then, didn't she? She wanted to censor people, and right. she's a drummer like Eric Deggins. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if she's as good a drummer as Eric Deggins. Eric, Eric what are, you, what are your memories better. of the PMRC? Probably better, yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, looking back now, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a parent of four children, so I understand a parent looking at the mm-hmm. coarsening of pop culture and saying, you know, isn't there something that can be done? Um so the impulse, I think, is a natural one. Yeah, and to be uh, fair, she it, wasn't trying to censor. She was trying to she was label. Trying to get, she was trying to get things labeled, <laughs> yeah. which, again, as a parent, yeah. you know, it helps to, to just know what kind right. of content is on an album. But i, I got to agree with, with Gina in the sense that I, I think music got less political in the 80s. Yeah, and definitely. Um, this is the birth of MTV, and this is the, the, the beginnings of artists trying to figure out visual approximations of their music and use it to sell records. So, um, the, you know, what you're seeing is a rise of, you know, scantily clad women and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and all, all, kinds of, all kinds of eye candy and videos. You're not really seeing a lot of, lot of rel- relevance. I, and the environment was rich, I think, to have real political music. I, I, I disagree mean, to some extent. I thought, I thought to some extent there was, towards the middle of the 80s, a, a resurgence in the politics and the music. You had... Um, 
Well, practically all of Frankie Goes to Hollywood stuff is is steeped with a certain level. Well, I was going to say, I was going to qualify that and say a lot of the British artists right, were really British, angry with Thatcher Well, and you stuff. have the Dead Kennedys, who, well, yeah, who every single American. song was practically a ranting about. Well, they were they were, they really were opposed th- to the That PMRC. was their whole thing, though, They were really yeah. opposed to the PMRC. The, uh, you've got um, even Genesis, which has got to be probably, what, the most mainstream band there was at the time, comes out with the song uh, Land of Confusion, which... Let's hear Land of Yeah, let's hear a few seconds of Land of Confusion. <laughs> this is a song... But I mean, there we go. That's Genesis, and they at least had a, a political thought about the 80s. Well, that was nice. You just bang your microphone, <laughs> Gina. Microphone. Well, well, yeah. I mean, okay, that's a political song. But for, for the most part, a lot of the political songs in the 80s were like for these one-off causes and things like the you know do they know it's christmas or uh, i remember like little stevie did the uh i ain't gonna play sun city song about yeah that's, <laughs> i ain't gonna play sun city about apartheid it. you know right, right yeah well apartheid was a huge issue in the 80s and it also sort of it, it was interesting there was a lot of finger pointing going on i think in this country where uh you know i remember in college going to protest you know uh demanding that our uh university divest from companies that did business in south africa Notably, Coca Cola. Coca Cola, sure. And um, uh, but there was a lot of finger pointing about what the um, racial oppression that was going on in South Africa. Well, we had stuff going on in our own country that was oh, almost yeah. as bad. But um, again, you know, we're talking about the '80s as a transition um, decade, we had the beginnings of the end of the apartheid regime in the '80s. Um, the violence there got worse. Uh, saw probably its worst um, um, incidents in the mid '80s, say '85 to '88 when P.W. Bolta was, was cracking down and trying to, uh, to limit expression. And then when he was forced out of office by F.W. de Klerk, um, he, they started to really dismantle apartheid. And by the 90s, uh, we had um, 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 why am I forgetting his name? Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, released freed, from, uh, finally. Released Which from prison after, 20, song, after 25 free years. Free Nelson Mandela. <laughs> exactly. I was yeah. like, exactly. Uh, was it Peter Gabriel did it? So actually, Biko. Biko. By yeah. Steve Biko. That's yeah. Yeah. It was, it was there were, uh, a lot of amazing uh, stuff. And, and you know, um, Bishop Desmond Tutu got his uh, uh, Nobel Peace Prize in uh, in 84. So mm-hmm. um, the, the beginning of the end of apartheid. But what was interesting to me is that, you know, I'm going to these protests, but I was also a professional musician in the 80s, and I was in this band, and we were playing. I was going to school in, Indi- in Indiana, so I was playing in Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Tennessee, uh, and Kentucky, and I'm playing these states with this funk band. It's almost all black folks except for two people. For those of you listening, Eric's black. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm African-American or black or Negro if you prefer. Negro. Uh, and um, uh, so we were coming to these places and, you know, we'd have these weird things where um, club owners would call our agent to find out how many black folks were in the band. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Is it- oh, I swear to God. And, and, then, uh, and, and it was weird because it was a microcosm of the collision that was happening in pop music where you had um, uh, Michael Jackson and Prince and Janet Jackson and all these related artists. You know, Prince had a whole stable of artists. I mean, to me, one of the finest funk albums of, uh, of all time, What Time Is It? The Time's second record came mm-hmm. out then. And, and uh, so you had all 
these black artists that were doing great work and white folks were really digging it. And, um, and then you had this backlash where people who viewed funk music as sort of that, you know, N-word music mm-hmm. uh, were, were saying, well, rock and roll. And, you know, and so, I, you know, I remember very vividly playing this club in Terre Haute, Indiana and a fight breaking out. Thank you. Another correct answer. <laughs> uh, and a fight breaking out because um, uh, these two black guys decided to dance with these two white girls in Terre Haute, Indiana, and the farmers weren't having it. And the next thing you knew, there was this tremendous fight in the middle of uh, the dance floor. And we were sitting here thinking, you know, th- this is what the club owners were afraid of. We would show up in a town. Right. A bunch of black folks would come to hear yeah. us. Cats and then and dogs, all of a sudden there would, be, there would be this friction. <laughs> and, and it was amazing because, like, the people who wanted to hear the music, that wasn't their agenda at all. Right. It was all these other outside people. And, and I think that kind of collision was happening in pop music in general and happening in the zeitgeist in general. And, and, and so, you know, it was safe for us to criticize South Africa sure. without looking at, at our um, own country. At our own country. So as we were saying, so uh, our thesis being that 80s was sort of a, a catalyst decade or, or, or sort of setting the stage. Mm-hmm. How do you look at then race relations in the 80s being sort of – how do you look at that as a preface for what was to come after it? Do you think maybe there was some groundwork set maybe or, or what? You know? I mean, well, I think, I think what we did see was um, you know, the Reagan revolution, the Reaganomics and this whole trickle-down theory – uh, I'll tell you what was trickling and the economics was trickling on poor people. It wasn't wealth. But what well, was so happening? So much has <laughs> changed from then to now, from, I, 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 from exactly. Daddy Bush to, to George Exactly. D- and, you know, you think about the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, all mm-hmm. these poor people who had no resources and suffered for days. And then you sort of think about, well, what happened with the AIDS crisis? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and why was there so much friction between black and white towards the end of the, of the 80s? Um, you know, the Reagan Revolution, again, you know, hand, uh, depriving poor people – depriving marginalized people, ignoring their value in society. And then you have people realizing they're being ignored and wanting a voice mm-hmm. and, and, and wanting to be heard. And, and I think um, this new conservatism that we have in power now, the same thing's happening. And, uh, you know, um, uh, George Bush looks out and he says, well, I got Condoleezza Rice. I got, I got Alberto Gonzalez. Sure. I got all these people. You know, get off the back. <laughs> right. but, uh, but then you say, well, do those constituencies have a voice in a government? Do they get to change things? Do, uh, are they recognized? And, and then you realize uh, that this government is not really focused on them. And, 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 and so there are people out there, you know, uh, trying to have a voice, trying to be heard, trying to make an impact. And, and, and so I think the 80s and, and race relations then are very much indicative of the same things that we're mm-hmm. struggling with now. And it's just kind of sad that you would think 20 years later we're still stuck in the same place uh, in a lot of ways. Hmm. Let's talk for a second about the scandals of the 80s. He just told us about that scandal and he played at that place yeah, in Indiana. Totally, <laughs> totally, but yeah. there are a few more There's we got to talk about. between scandal and fiasco. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. The, um, any of the, the 80s scandals st- stand out in your mind today? The Gary Hart scandal, the – Iran Contra situation. All these names we remember. Any of them do you think stand the Fun test of time? Well, um, any of them stir up well, obviously, stories? We, were, we remember all of them. I mean, Gary Hart was an interesting case. I think what we saw with Gary Hart was the press realizing just how uh, open season it was on the personal lives of candidates uh, and political. Uh, well, did, didn't he dare them? He, he said, did. He, he dared, said, "Follow me around." He, he, dared, he dared. I don't the care. Media. I'm serious. He was. He was such an idiot. He dared the media to follow him. So the media did. And 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 uh, you know, I I have uh, been I've been in seminars and Damn next the to the people who broke those stories. And you know, they were indeed in the bushes outside 
you know, uh, hotel rooms, watching what he was doing. And uh, the sad thing about it is I think he thought at the time that the press didn't really do a lot of reporting on the personal lives of politicians then. Um, there was still sort of this tattered uh, remnants of, of, of this ethic that you just you didn't go there. Um, but, but that but, all but changed. He, in but, the he, but he but he laid down the gauntlet in a way that um, I mean it was telling that it was a National Enquirer uh, that broke that story. It hmm. was not a mainstream, respected press outlet. I thought it was that, the Miami Herald. Um, oh yeah, the, yeah, the Miami Herald. Again, Hero it was not a <laughs> yeah. respected. I'm just but I think I, I do think the nation the national the nationwide exposure of it was in the National Enquirer. I think. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm sure you'll get a thousand emails yeah, telling me I'm wrong, yeah. but, well, but maybe I, we I, don't have that many seem, listeners. But I, but I seem, I seem to <laughs> remember that us. that was the case, and 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 so you know, um, it did usher in this uh, this 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 notion that you could go after the personal lives of politicians now in media coverage. Interesting. Uh, um, what about now, Gary Hart? It sort of underdid his presidential campaign because he probably was the Democratic frontrunner back in eighty. 488? 88, yeah. I think it was. Right. So, I mean, pretty much no, was it 88? Because that was Dukakis. Um, That's uh, with the uh, tank. Bush. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was earlier. Him. I got it. You, you know, I didn't, I didn't look up the Gary Hart thing, unfortunately. That's okay. I should have okay. looked that up. I think it was 88. Uh, the, but here's the, here's the problem with that. You've got his entire presidential campaign un- unravels in front of him. Six years later, uh, Bill Clinton runs for uh, president. He gets caught real early in a same sort of a situation and probably emerges from it stronger than he went into it. Well, how did how did how did uh, how did he survive it where it killed Gary Hart? Well, um, you know, I, Gary Hart wasn't as well liked, I think, as Bill Clinton was, and Bill Clinton. And is, he, he, is, he is tempted ten the media. Times, <laughs> is ten times the politician that Gary Hart is. Oh, yeah. Bill Clinton is very smart. Um, and savvy about his own image. And one of the first things he did was go on 60 Minutes, him and his wife holding hands, uh, admitting to certain parts of the allegations against him, denying others, and casting it as, uh, you know, political dirty tricks. Um, and he was able to keep a lid on, uh, on things uh, for quite a while um, with that kind of strategy. Um, I, I just think the bottom line is that where most most men would have crumbled under the weight of the uh, of the lies he was telling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bill Clinton was was able to to keep the the charade going for for a, a quite a long while. Well, now it feels like we, we now it feels like Clinton never even happened because we've got George W. in office and his daddy, of course, George Bush, the president in the eighties. Eric, give us your insights about. George the father, George the son. George the first. <laughs> Did George well, set the stage for well, George what's it? W? Well, again, again, you know, tra- we keep talking about transitions. H.W. Right. Uh, Bush uh, was elected president in 88, and we see the beginning of the Bush dynasty. Um, uh, he, he uh, you know, served one term, but again, he was continuing kind of the Reagan uh, legacy in terms of conservatism, but he was also starting his family, d- family's dynasty in terms of, uh, you know, their amount of time running this country now. Uh, Clinton may feel like an afterthought now or history now, but people are seriously talking about Hillary Clinton running for president in 2008. If, by some stretch of the imagination, she's elected, we will have had close to 25 years of a Clinton or a Bush being president of the United wow. States. That's impossible. So, uh, it, you know, That's we're talking about mind. two families essentially running this country for a quarter century. Mm. Uh, so that's that's important. And, and, and it all started in the 80s with, uh, with uh, Bush Sr. being elected president. Mm. 
Very interesting. Wow. Well, we'll have to wait to see what happens with the Montagues and the Capulets, I guess. Um, he thinks it ends with someone getting poisoned. That's right. Pox on all the houses, man. I can't take any more of this I stuff. Know. I tell you what, it is frightening. But, I mean, you think about the 80s. It, it's just amazing that when you look at the stuff that happened, so much of it was setting the stage. I mean, yeah. in the early 90s, we have, as we said, the release of Nelson Mandela from prison right. and the end of apartheid. We have the fall of the Soviet Union. The, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall happened in 1989, and a couple of years after that, uh, the Soviet Union was gone. Uh, you know, um, the, the rise of rap. 1992 mm-hmm. was when we had the very first gold record awarded a rap uh, artist, mm-hmm. um, uh, N.W.A. for El Phil for Zach. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all of these things, the rise of rap, the, 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 the uh, rise of America as America's, as the world's the only superpower, superpower right. all this stuff was sort of being set in the 80s, the rise of the video music revolution with MTV. Bill Gates became a billionaire in 1987, the first person to earn a billion dollars from uh, the computer industry. Mm. We saw the, the explosion of the PC industry in the 80s. The first uh, uh, really popular Mac was invented and distributed in the 80s. So this is just an incredibly important decade. I know oh, yeah. people mock we us. Know it. People mock <laughs> us for talking about it every week. Like, oh, I can't believe you guys sit there and talk about the 80s oh, every week. Well, you guys know you're ahead of the curve, right? We do. You, know that? Of course. you got me on, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> ahead of the curve. But, uh, ahead of the curve, but... Forever. Stuck in the 80s. Catch you next week. Bye. When you hear the air attack warning... You and your family must take cover at once. Do not stay out of doors. If you are caught in the open, lie down. And now, here is a reminder about fallout warnings. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the online department of the St. Petersburg Times and TBT. The podcast is engineered and edited by Dave Morrison. If you'd like to write to us, do so at 80s.tampabay at gmail.com. If you want to leave a comment for us that we can use on our podcast, call us toll-free at 866-371-9605 and visit our blog at www.tampabay.com slash blogs slash 80s.